Welcome to the weekly podcast from Spring of Life Church, located in the heart of downtown Portland. We hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. For more information, visit us at springoflifepdx.com. If you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to go ahead and join me to opening them to Romans chapter 10, where we'll be in just a moment. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, we've got a free one for you. We'd love to give you as a gift on the way out, uh, or you can just follow along on the screens. That's fine, too. We're continuing in this message series called Witness, and it's been a great ride. I've enjoyed it. I hope you have, too. We've got a few weeks left. Uh, but for four weeks in the very beginning, we took one simple scripture and we said we are determined to get to the bottom of what this passage of scripture says. Um, because in the ancient world, 2,000 years ago, the followers of Jesus had seen some incredible things. They had seen Jesus walk on water, raise a dead person to life, heal the sick, multiply food. Anything to do with my, if food is my favorite miracle. Uh, They'd seen some amazing things. They'd seen Jesus give his life on the cross. They'd seen Jesus after he had risen again. And right at the moment before Christ was going to ascend into heaven, his followers had a question. Hey, Jesus, remember when you promised us that when we follow you, the world was going to change. When is that going to happen? In their minds, they were still thinking about a political upheaval, uh, an overthrow of the government, getting involved in politics. They really thought Jesus was going to help make Jerusalem great again. And Jesus turns to them with a different promise. Acts 1.8, here's the great promise. Here's when the world will change and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses from here to the ends of the earth. That is the promise. That is the plan. And that is the great hope. For four weeks, we broke that down. If you missed that, feel free to check out the series on our website, springoflifepdx.com. But today, we're really beginning the process of breaking down what this looks like in our everyday lives. And today, we're focusing on the idea of what it means to live as a Christian with purpose. To live with purpose. Um, I'll just uh, be personal. I think, I'd like to think that I'm a fairly good husband. I qualify that. Um, and uh, I had a little check mark on my husband report card this week. Andrea and I met with uh, our mentor. His name is Russ, and he's at a church in Texas. And we went out to uh, McMiniman's restaurant and over tater tots. He asked Andrea, so, and he always has this moment where we're just casual, and then he gets real. Andrea, how is Aaron doing? And uh, she goes, he's actually doing great. And he goes, really? And I'm thinking, why you got to look so surprised? <laughs> um, why are you giving me that look? But I, I think I'm an okay husband. I try. I give some effort. I was a great boyfriend. I used to pick her up every single Monday with roses. Now I just pay her rent. So the roses are gone. <laughs> but I was an awesome boyfriend. Um, but I was a terrible pre-boyfriend. I was awful. I was one of those dumb college boys um, who played the will they, won't they game way too long. And if you're getting convicted right now, uh, you know who you are. I'm just kidding. Um, But one Valentine's Day, I don't know what came over me. Um, Andrea and I were just friends at the time. We had been friends for a long time. And um, I was alone by myself on a Valentine's Day in the romantic place called Walmart. And... (laughs) They had just put all of their markdowns 
on all of the Valentine's Day gear that didn't get picked up for the day. And I just had this like moment of inspiration. I was a super impulsive person with no sense of purpose at all. I just start like filling up a shopping cart with like everything Valentine's Day related. And I put it all in the back of my car. I drive to Andrea's dorm and like, it's like almost 11 o'clock, like right at, we went to a Christian college. So it was like right before curfew, danger time. And um, so I call her and I'm like, Andrea, come downstairs. I've got something for you. And she's like, okay. And she walks out, unbeknownst to me, all of her roommates and suite mates are watching. This is something I've learned only girl roommates do. Boy roommates are like, what? Does it have to do with video games? Easy Mac? Okay, cool. I'm good. <laughs> Girls are like, oh, a human boy called? Okay. What's happening? Get the popcorn. Shh, calm down. They put on a soundtrack in the background. So like she comes down the stairs. I open up the trunk of the car. She's like hitting the Valentine's Day lottery. I'm like, here's chocolates and flowers and a teddy bear and a CD mixtape made by Walmart. Here you go. Happy Valentine's Day. And she's sort of like standing there with this huge pile of stuff. And I'm like, okay, bye. And I just leave. And so like, the next day, I'm thinking to myself, I hope she didn't get the wrong idea. And so I texted her, the jerkiest thing ever. Hey, I just want to make sure you know, I just want to be friends. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. That's why I told you the good stuff up front. <laughs> I was better later. But I was just this idiot who had no sense of purpose. I had no idea that my actions carried with them a seismic impact. I was one of those immature people who had no idea how to own my impact in the world around me. And I was just thinking about what it means to be a Christian in a world like ours, that so many of us live with the same lack of purpose. So many of us live without any awareness of the impact that we are having all of the time, just the moment we call ourselves Christians. Let me break this down. I mean, here is sort of what we're declaring to the world around us. As a believer, we're never calling ourselves perfect. Let me just say that right now. We are imperfect people rescued by a loving God. But here are some of the claims that we make. We claim that we understand eternity. Not all the details, but we claim to understand what happens after we leave this world and pass into the next existence. We claim that we know that. We claim that we understand how to connect to the divine. We claim that we understand the secrets of escaping an eternity of eternal punishment. And yet, when we stay silent, it's like dropping off a whole pile of promises and then texting, I just want to be friends. I just want to keep things casual. There's an individual by the name of Penn Jillette, he is a magician in Vegas. He's a cultural critic. He's a noted atheist. And several years ago, a video of him went viral. Basically, he said, I have zero respect for a Christian who doesn't evangelize because if you believe this message is true, how much do you have to hate me not to share it? So many of us, if you're like me, especially in my faith, have lived accidental lives. And today, we have the opportunity to ask the question, how much of what I do, how much does it really matter? And how much of how I live my life will disappear when eternity calls my name? 
Here's the beauty. This invitation in the text today teaches us that we're about to read in Romans chapter 10 that we are invited to live lives of purpose. And I think that the desire to live life, to live a life of purpose, is written deep within each of our hearts. Even if you're not a Christian, there was a 20-year-old boy this past week who won <coughs> the lottery. I think his winnings were a lump sum of $281 million. Hey, I'd be happy with 281. I'm like, that is like a power bill and a half right there. I would take it. But he won $281 million off of a $10 investment. And the newspaper reporters, they asked him, what do you want to do with the money? And he says, I don't know. I just want to do something good for humanity. I thought, how noble. We know you're going to buy a Lamborghini. Um, but even in that moment, his first reaction was to reach for a sense of purpose. You were designed to matter. You were built to make a difference. If you believe you're a Christian, you are claiming that the God of eternity lives inside of you. The greatest world changer to ever walk this planet has inhabited you, giving you his nature, giving you his character, and yes, giving you his power. Your life is meant to matter, does it? This gospel treasure inside of us, it's meant to go viral. God in, always intended for this relational message to spread relationally. This relational message of how people like you and me can connect to the living God. The method by which God gave us to see this message spread was through relationships. And this isn't just beginning in the New Testament. This dated back to the Old Testament as well. Israel was God's promised land. And from the beginning, though God had a chosen nation, he was always his intention that through this chosen nation that the message would spread to the outsider. My daughter loves her Bible app, and sometimes I'm a lazy parent and I don't read her bedtime story. I let the internet do it. And uh, the other night, we were reading the story of Ruth and Boaz. And the story of Ruth is so beautiful. Ruth was an outsider to the children of Israel. She was from Moab. She followed her mother-in-law back to Israel after a famine. And through this story, she became the great-grandmother of Israel's greatest king. The story of God was never an inclusive, I mean, an exclusive message. It's always about including the outsider. In the story of God, there was always room for those who haven't heard it yet. This message is supposed to spread relationally. This passage I'm about to read you, the first time it really hit me, I was on a mission trip in Perth, Australia, sitting in a health club, reading through the entire book of Romans. And it was the first time I really began to understand this message. I'd grown up in church, like many of us. I'd been around this message, but it had never hit home. Like I'm praying for some of you, it will today. And I remember thinking, if this is true, if this message is this potent, so real, such a hope, then I've just got to stand up on this table right now and start telling everybody, because if they could just hear it, they would be changed. That's the only appropriate reaction to what we're going to read. So without any further ado, let's take a look at Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 9. Here's the great hope of the world. Because if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus 
is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. What a glorious message. What a stunning hope. Verse 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14. Here's our story. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Is it really that simple? Is it really that beautiful? Is it really that powerful? I'm staking my life on the idea that it is. The greatest thing you could do for yourself today is to take this Sunday afternoon and to reread this passage until it is deep in your heart, until it begins to resonate in your soul. But for the next few moments gathered, we'll try to unpack some of this. But I could never do justice to the fullness of this text, so I'm going to trust that you're going to do your homework. But right now, let's pray and ask for God's help. God, thank you for this. Thank you for this message. Let us never, ever take it for granted Father, thank you for this rescue that we've been included in. Thank you for lives of purpose that we've been invited into. Thank you for your presence and your power. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. There's a couple of questions I would like to ask you today. I feel like if we're able to ask these questions really to each other, it would change everything about the way that we live. And the first one is this. If you're gonna be a witness, the first question to ask is, do you really believe this message? Do you really believe it? I think for so many of us, we can get on faith autopilot if we're not careful. There are those moments in time when things seem real. They are beautiful. They make sense. They're exciting. They are um, passionate in our hearts and lives. In two weeks, I'm getting ready to go preach at a student camp in Spokane, Washington. Did I say that right? Spokane is what I always want to say. Spokane. Um, And uh, there's this stereotype of Christian youth camps that you always have a cry night. Like Friday, you get there, people are barely listening. Saturday morning, they're kind of groggy. But by Saturday, everyone's like, I don't even know what it is, but it feels great and bad. And uh, they're just weeping. But there is emotion associated to the truths of God's word. And sometimes when we're separated from our everyday lives and intensely connected with who God is and what he is doing, we feel something. But so many of us distrust those emotions. We don't want to be swayed by them or carried away by them, or we want to have something deeper than just a feeling. But why not both? The Bible says in John 4, we are to worship God in spirit and in truth. And the beauty of this, re- this message is that when we are so clear on the truth, then our spirits are stirred like never before. 
And sometimes we get on this faith autopilot going through the disciplines, going through the routines without stopping to remember the implication that we were once lost in our sins. The Bible says that no one was born halfway on the way to heaven. The Bible says that everyone, everyone, everyone was born, not just a sinner, but an enemy of God. One sin disqualified for life because we, like Romans 3 says, have fallen short of the glory of God. And it's not just God being a punisher of sins. It is because God is so separate from sins. And that is something that brings us joy. I look around and I see a broken world. Andrea and I had an amazing week, but this was such a hard week for so many of our really close friends. And the Bible says to mourn with those who mourn, to weep with those who weep. We had two friends who had miscarriages in the past two weeks. One of them was so far along, it was um, not the first one they had had. And to see someone go through an experience like this is just a grief-stricken experience. There's another person that we're in relationship with their young son is in remission from cancer, and just this past week, they found a spot in the same place where it had existed originally, and they have to do some scans, but if the scans come back positive for cancer, the doctor said the son, the young boy, the young child has about a year to live. Yesterday, I saw online that one of our dear close friends, um, a person I've done ministry with for years, a person who's come to Portland because he's so excited about what Jesus is doing here in this city. He loves you. I just found out yesterday that his wife of 48 years passed away. So this was a hard week, and it was such a reminder that we live in a broken world. Where does this brokenness come from? People ask the question all the time, like, why, if God is so good, why would he allow this pain? Why would he allow this suffering? It's a long answer, but I'll give you the gist. All of the brokenness, all of the suffering, they are all symptoms of a disease called sin. Sin is being apart from God. And sometimes we pay for the consequences of our own sins, but so often in the ones I just read, we are seeing the consequences of sin itself being present in a society. It is like a cancer that always wants more. It is always spreading. It wants to do nothing other than to steal, to kill, and destroy. So what would it be like to live in a world, to live in a place that is so set apart from sin and all its effects? That's what it is like to be with God and God alone. To be completely set apart from sin, that is a word called holy. And God is a holy God. It means that if you're in the presence of God, there is no sickness, there is no death, there is no disease, there is no heartbreak. And there's a simple reason why, because God is good and sin is bad. It really is that simple. So what would it be like to be invited to a place free from our sins once and for all, that is this message of the gospel. That is this good news that says, yes, you have problems. There's a reason. Yes, you have issues. There is a story. Yes, you have brokenness. But yes, there is hope. 
Because there is one named Jesus who came right in the middle of your brokenness, right in the middle of your sorrow. He knew what he was getting. While you were still a sinner, he went to the cross because sin deserves a price. He stretched out his arms and he paid the price as he bled red blood, as he gave up his spirit on the cross, as he paid the wrath of God, the anger of God for all of our sins. In that moment, he declared once and for all, it is finished. And that is why he and he alone says, he who calls on my name shall be saved. My question today, do I really believe this message? Because if I do, how can I stop thinking about it? How can I stop thinking about what it means for me? How can I stop thinking about what it means for others? Do you really believe this message? Has it changed your life? Have you given everything to Christ so that you can receive everything from Christ? It leads us to our second question. Do you really believe the stakes are real? Do you really believe the stakes are real? I've come to learn in our city, Portland, we're a very spiritual town. It's a really easy thing to do to have a spiritual conversation. But what I've noticed is that there are very few stakes in our spiritual conversations. Let me explain what I mean. I meet people all of the time from different walks of life, from different places of faith, and I have immeasurable respect for them. I love my Buddhist friends and Mormon friends and um, friends who uh, follow Islam. Uh, I have amazing respect for them. I have so many more people that I've encountered that are just spiritual in general, a bit indifferent to what they believe. And the conversation often ends like this with one of those individuals. I'm so happy you believe what you believe, and I believe what I believe, and let's walk away okay. And all of that's fine, unless these stakes are real. The stakes spelled out in the Bible. We spoke a moment ago about this broken world. What is the hope for my friend with miscarriages? What is my hope for my friend whose son might have cancer? What is the hope for the friend who lost his wife of 48 years? It's not that Christianity is a religion that makes you feel a little bit better to suffer through a broken world. It's that this world is passing away and a new one is coming that will set everything right. That's the glorious hope. I can't paint the picture better than Romans, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. Here's what the Bible describes that moment. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. And they shall be no mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they're true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. 
Do you know that every day you walk around knowing that you're a Christian, this is the hope you're pointing to? Do you know that everywhere you go where people know you're a believer in Christ, it's not the fact that you show up to a place on Sunday mornings, though we're happy you're here. We had donuts today. They were delicious. Hope to see you back next week. It's not where you go on Sunday. It's where you go when all of this passes away and something has been made new. This glorious hope of the water of life being offered to the thirsty a soul for the simple cost of nothing except for belief. That's the message you carry with you. So the third question is, what do we do with it? What do we do with it? Are you ready to live a life of purpose? Are you ready to live a life of purpose? It's not just that. The promise is so good. The Bible also tells a contrasting story not just about reward, but of punishment. The Bible paints this simple paradigm of an eternity with God in a place with everything that God gives and an eternity without God, with all of the horror of that scenario. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says this, Speaking of those who don't believe, those who will not receive this message, those who will perish in their sins, the Bible says they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. There are people who tell me sometimes, I don't know if I really believe in hell. I think that this is our hell. This earth, this place where bad things happen to good people, I think this is hell. And according to 2 Thessalonians 1.9, they're incorrect because this might be bad but you haven't seen anything yet. We've never been in an existence where God and his people weren't somehow present. But the Bible says in eternity, there will be a grand separation. Once and for all, God will draw those to himself completely. And those who are cast away, who are paying the price for their own sins, the greatest price is that they will be separated from God. Here's how Jesus paints the scenario. Jesus himself talks about the stakes in Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 43. He's giving practical advice. He says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. What? That's gross. Well, we're speaking in hyperbole. Let's break this down. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Why? Here's the main point. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off because it's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And here's what Jesus is saying. It is better to be handless, footless, and eyeless than to go to hell. Heaven is better. The stakes are real. The weight is heavy. And the hope is glorious. Are you ready to live a life of purpose? Now that we've heard those stakes, let's read our passage once again in verse 14, Romans 10, 14. How will they call on whom they have not believed? When I read a verse like we just read, and you can leave that up for a moment, I think about people who have not come to faith in Christ, and I realize this is not neutral. (laughs) I think about people who've not believed this gospel message, and I think to myself, this is not cute about where we show up or where we practice religion. This is real. If this is true, 
If this is a message I've committed my life to, if this is so true, they have to know, but how will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. This is why Jesus came, not just to set a good example, but to rescue. This is why Jesus came, not just to teach us how to vote, but to rescue. This is why Jesus came, not just to inspire, but to defeat death once and for all, to overcome the clutches of hell once and for all, to silence the enemy's claim on your life once and for all so that through faith the chains could be broken, the life could come, and you can walk in freedom, and you can share that freedom. Make no mistake, that's what this is. And Jesus had a plan How does this look in real life? A lot of people are buying into what I've said already. Like, we're waking back up to it. I need messages like this to wake me back up to it. That's right. It's not about, like, what Instagram accounts I follow and, like, what category of the bookstore I go to or what radio stations I'm listening to. That's not just what Christianity is. This is pressing me into an urgent mission in which I have power and purpose. Okay, what does it look like to engage? Am I supposed to just, like, wear a pin that says, like, I'm a Christian. Ask me about it. Um, Does it mean I'm just supposed to like, um, like read my Bible out loud every day at lunch break? Uh, We'll answer some of those practical questions, but I want you to know if there is this one question, is this supposed to be accidental? Are Are people supposed to stumble into the idea that I'm a Christian or is this supposed to be intentional? Should I find purposeful ways to go out and to share my faith? The answer is simple. It's never supposed to be accidental. It's always intentional. Jesus always came for us. And his agency to do this was discipleship. It's making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. The glorious thing about what we saw in that video is that Gabby helped us baptize Katie. And Gabby received Christ two years ago. Not 18 years ago. She hasn't been to, um, like, she's in seminary now, but she hasn't completed her degree but she's helping someone in their walk with Christ. And here's what's gonna be glorious is, Katie, I can't wait for the day when you're standing there with someone that you've shared this with and we're seeing disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. So I wanna invite you into the tank. If you haven't been baptized, here's your invitation. But I want you to help me baptize or I just want you to do it because that's Christ's plan. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Let me show you what this looked like in in the first century. Here's Jesus' plan. The first generation of disciples was the best one. You might have heard of him. His name was Jesus. The right answer for every Sunday school quiz. (laughs) Who did that? Jesus, that's right. But then there's a second generation, okay? Jesus calls how many people to himself? Twelve, right? One of them was a stinker, but the other 11 did pretty good. So it's okay if we have some stinkers in here. Our ratios are all right. Um, So in Mark 6, 7, I think we have a graph. In Mark 6, 7, he calls these 12 to himself. And then he does something really interesting. He splits them up two by two, 
So six groups of two. He sends them out with these instructions. I want you to go into these towns and basically knock on doors. And if people open up the door and talk to you and receive the gospel, great. If they don't, he says, shake the dust off your feet. I'm like, okay, that's a little physical. Like, there you go. See ya. Um, I don't do that. I just respectfully, you know, move along. So people ask us, there are churches that criticized us. Why are you guys like going out into the city in the summertime with ice cream gift cards to people, inviting people to have a spiritual conversation? The best of our ability, we're trying to do like a culturally current version of what we're seeing in Mark chapter six. We're going out two by two just to be intentional, to see who will catch on to this message. And here's what was so beautiful. 72 people kind of returned. So this first crop produced 72 disciples. Then we see in Luke chapter 10, as we're tracking this story, um, Jesus sends that 72 out. He splits them up into 36 groups of two. He says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray God sends people into the harvest. And they go out evangelizing. Same thing, knocking on doors, talking to people, going into towns, going into cities, going out of their way to being intentional with this message. And the next number we see in Luke 10 is 500. And if you're beginning to track this, um, there's, an, there's a researcher named Dan Greider who kind of teaches this. And he says that by the numbers in the first generation, you see six pairs and they grow by a multiple of 12 to 72. And then if you take that, 36 pairs, you grow by another multiple of 12 to about four or 500. And then if you take that four or 500, the next time we see it grow is at Pentecost where 3,000 people have now received this message. But it was never some guy waving his arms with a microphone. This is to encourage the real work of disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Some of you are like, I don't know if I can do it. You're right. But good thing you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you so that you can be his witness. Some of you are like, oh, I might be afraid to like have a conversation with someone. Here's the great news. Jesus can use scared people. <laughs> he does it all the time. Some of you are like, I'm afraid it will be awkward. And uh, someone trained me a long time ago. That's okay. It's okay to feel awkward. Not forever. And it's not because you're trying to impress someone here. It's just asking the question, do you really believe this message? Do you really believe the stakes are this high? And are you ready to live a life of purpose? Those are questions I can't answer for you. I just invite you to. According to that same researcher, Dan, this is why the American church looks so different than the international church. So church planting is actually pretty healthy here, but the average church planter in America is 38 years old. <laughs> Super old. I'm way younger than that by at least a few years. <laughs> they have 18 years of education. They make $38,000 a year, which is pretty cheap, uh, pretty cheap, but still pretty expensive if you're trying to raise up all this money. Like the hope is like raising enough money for a salary. Uh, most of them are male, and most of them have zero disciples who make disciples. They grow through addition. They send out postcards and people show up, which I believe in postcards, but if that's all you have, that's why the American church looks the way it does. The average international church, the average church planter is 18 years old, six years of education. They make $900 per year. They're female, and on average, they lead 25 people to Christ a year, and they teach those people how to lead people to Christ every year. 
That's why globally the church is exploding. And in America, we're too expensive and overeducated and well-informed. Yet where's the power? You can still have it. It's the same Jesus. I can't change that story, but we can. We can. And today's invitation is really simple. It's not figure it all out and go evangelize the city tomorrow. It's to say yes to your part in the story, whatever that story may be. It's saying yes to being intentional. In a couple of weeks, we'll give you some real life challenges. We'll do another Action Sunday where we will actually go out two by two with ice cream gift cards for anyone who wants to try it. Well, since it's cold, we might do coffee gift cards. And some of you, the idea of that is terrifying. My challenge to you right now, say yes, give it a try. I've taken people, um, there's one lady in particular who came out this past summer. I tell her story all the time. She said, I'm 67 years old. I love missions. I support missions. I'm the lady who makes the sandwiches for the missionaries, but I don't go out and share my faith. In fact, in 67 years old, I've never shared my faith with someone I didn't know. And I said, will you give us a chance? Will you just say, I said the same thing I said to you today. Will you just say yes to Jesus? Will you just give it a try? Do you know that week? She had 71 gospel conversations. And at the end of the week, she said, Aaron, I will never be the same again. She had tears in her eyes. She called me two months later from Miami, Florida. She said, I'm here with a friend at her high school reunion, sitting at a tiki bar, and I used what you taught me. I just shared Christ with two people. Why can't this work? We treat it like it's a special thing. It's for the you know, super, super well-educated, seminary-trained Christian. There's the lie. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. Do you believe this message is true? Do you believe these stakes are real? Are you ready to live a life of purpose? Then let's do it. Let me pray for us. Our musicians will come. We'll have a moment to respond in just a moment. With your head bowed and eyes closed. I wonder if there's anybody in this room right now that if you were to be honest with yourself, you've never given everything to Jesus. We talked a moment ago about the glories of heaven and the sorrow of hell. The Bible says the one thing standing between the two is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. No one negotiates their way to heaven. No one earns their way to heaven. That's the greatest glory and the greatest challenge. There is but one way, there's but one way to know God, to receive forgiveness of your sins, to be changed, fullness in this life, security in the next life, and glory all the way through, to see his kingdom come in your life and then once and for all. And it's to believe this message of Jesus, to give everything you know of yourself to him. If there's anyone in this room who's never followed Christ, I would encourage you, consider that today could be the day that today could be the day of salvation, a deeply personal moment, but you don't have to make this choice or this thought process alone. There are people gathered who would love, love to share this with you. Uh, your action card that we filled out a moment ago on the back, I wanna encourage everyone to do this as the music plays in just a moment. As you worship, as you, th as you think, as you ponder, maybe just take a moment and see where you're at with Christ if you need to take a next step. Maybe some of you would be so much more effective 
in your walk with Christ if you had people to walk with, and maybe that would be by participating in a life group. Some of you maybe are interested in becoming a good Christian, but you'd like to talk to a leader. Let's meet up this week and talk about it. Or let's stay late today and talk about it. The time is now. The stakes are real, and God is good. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for these precious people. Thank you for those who are pondering faith right now. God, thanks so much for those who right now, their hearts are heavy with names of people. They would love to see know you. Thank you so much that you hear our cries. Thank you so much that you bear our burdens. And thank you so much that you are the one who builds your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Father, stir in the hearts of unbelievers. Stir in the hearts of your children. Show us how to live on this mission. Let us say yes to being intentional, to live lives of purpose. You are worthy. We love you. It's in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the weekly podcast of Spring of Life Church, where our mission is to invite thirsty people to become disciples of Jesus. For more information or to plan a visit to our church in Portland, visit us at springoflifepdx.com.